Welcome to a bonus episode. On this episode, I went on the podcast Riddle Me That. We discussed Casey Anthony and the death of little Kaylee Anthony. Now, of course, this case is heartbreaking, but I just wanted to share this episode with you. Thank you to Jules at Riddle Me That for having me on. I definitely enjoyed this conversation. Not the first time that Jules and I have collaborated on a case. You previously heard us on the Zeb Quinn episode, which was a fantastic case to cover. So Jules, thank you for having me. Definitely go check her out. And I hope you guys enjoy the show. Are you seeking that true crime fix from a podcast that started by someone who maintains strong ethics and, like you, has a deep fascination with the minds of these truly heinous individuals? Are you wanting more than just a weekly episode discussing such events? Do you wish to feel like you are actually part of the jury? If you're looking to gain knowledge and feel like a better person for it, then you and I both know that the Jury Room Podcast's Patreon is where the deeper understanding lives. For less than a quarter a day, you can join Kevin Cook as he dives deep into the minds of these monsters while maintaining respect and empathy for the victims. He will also shout you out in future episodes, give you the ability to vote for future episode topics, a handwritten thank you letter, and some truly awesome stickers for joining, plus access to a Discord server and exclusive bonus content that can only be found by supporting this swiftly growing podcast. You can access Kevin's Patreon, as well as many other supportive links by visiting linktree slash juryroompodcast. That's linktr.ee slash juryroompodcast. Thank you so much for supporting the Jury Room Podcast. Riddle Me That is a true crime podcast that deals with adult themes. Some episodes explore disturbing topics such as murder, abuse, sexual violence, drug abuse, suicide, and self-harm. Please listen at your own risk. Theories discussed in episodes may not be the opinion of the host. Welcome back to the show. I'm Jules, and this is Riddle Me That True Crime. So today's guest is pretty much going to be familiar to most of you, I think, because we've collaborated before, and it's Kevin from The Jury Room. Welcome back to the show, Kevin. Jules, thanks again for having me. I'm really excited to be here to talk about this one. So we're going to be talking about a case that I think it makes every single person in every country angry because... You know, just my opinion, it's somebody who got away with murder or neglect. Either way, it resulted in the death of her child, and that's Kaylee Anthony, but Casey Anthony. So I invited Kevin on to talk about it because he did excellent coverage, which I posted both episodes on my feed, so please go and listen to those. So are you ready to talk about Casey Anthony, Kevin? Unfortunately, yes. Casey grew up in Florida, correct? And she has a brother, Lee, and Cindy and George Anthony are her parents. Do you want to talk about the family dynamic and a bit of Casey's background? Sure. So Casey grew up, you know, in a two-person income household. So you had 
Casey's mom was very, very much the domineering type as to where her dad was more passive and kind of just let her rule the household. And so their family dynamic was very weird. So Casey kind of grew up and, you know, with her mom taking the charge on literally everything on everybody's life. So I think that kind of affected her in a way that she didn't want to make her mom mad. So she probably that's where her pathological lying started was trying not to make her mom mad at her. But then when her parents would catch her lying, they would go along with the lies. And that's the part that it reinforced that behavior with Casey, you know, saying, yeah, you can do this, but don't worry, there's no repercussions for it. You know, there were several times throughout her life, she lied about her graduation, she lied about stealing money from her grandma, from her friend, and her parents just kind of went along with all of it. So I think in that sense, that's where her being okay with lying about everything is, because that's a common theme throughout Casey's life from the beginning to the end is she was a liar and everybody around her went with it. So I think that's where she was able to unfortunately neglect her daughter to the point that, you know, that she's no longer with us and God rest Kaylee's soul because that she was a beautiful little girl and she definitely passed away way too soon. Okay. So I definitely want to touch on those things that you talked about, but first let's talk about her relationship with her brother, Lee. She had a really close relationship and I remember I'd read somewhere or I'd heard on one of the many different places that I've heard this story and I'm going to link them all in the show notes because I've heard this story covered on a million different podcasts. So you've got lots of resources you can tap into. But one of the things with her relationship with Lee was when Casey would do something terrible and she would, I guess, make one of her friends angry and her friends would go and confront Casey. Casey hated confrontation. And her brother Lee would stand up and be like, you can't come to Casey with this type of thing. What did you think about that? I think it's outrageous. I think it more or less just teaches her that she has no consequences for her actions, that somebody else is going to handle her problems for her. And that is another, you know, theme of her life is that she ignores problems until she can't ignore them anymore. Like she'll... She ignored, you know, investigators. She ignored her mom. She ignored her dad. I mean, it's one of those things that they didn't want to make, you know, her brother taught her that that it was okay that she didn't face her, you know, face her problems. And I, I, I just think that's where that's where she became comfortable with being able to disappear for as long as she did and not have contact during Kaylee's disappearance. You know what I mean? And I know that Lee was pretty pissed off, too, because speaking of lying and, you know, covering up Cindy and George Anthony, I don't think they knew that Casey was pregnant until she was quite far along. And you think like, okay, we're all in a house together. We're going to tell Lee because obviously it's Casey's brother, but they didn't. He waited until she was basically going to give birth to let Lee know. And I think he was so angry that they'd kept him in the dark that he didn't go to the hospital. Right. And rightfully so. I don't know how they could keep that from him. Like, I don't even know how she would be able to hide it for as long as she did, because it's not like, you, you know, you, you your stomach doesn't grow because you eat too much, like, especially with the way that a pregnancy is, like, your stomach grows a certain way, and you know, you're pregnant. So 
obviously, you know, there was a lot of, of deception on her parents' part to Lee, plus, you know, Casey deceiving him, probably wearing baggier clothes. They probably kept her away from him, you know, for extended periods of time, you know, those kinds of things. Or he maybe, maybe he was a little bit, you know, he was just more or less like in the dark. He had the, the blindfold on, you know, because there's a lot of times where you can, you know, potentially you hear stories where people live with other people and they don't know what they're doing because they don't, they turn a blind eye to what's going on with them. You know what I mean? Oh, I totally know what you mean. And like, he may have suspected something was amiss, but the fact that nobody was confirming anything, nobody was telling him anything. I think that would be reason enough to be like, okay, like I'm part of this family too. If we're keeping a secret, right. we're keeping it together. You kept me in the dark. And you did so willfully. Like they had every opportunity to tell him. And he doesn't seem like the type of person who would have been you know, out there telling people. He seemed to be very, very loyal to his sister, Casey. So the fact that they didn't tell him is strange. But I think we don't know who Kaylee's father is because Casey likes to keep secrets. Right. And that's something that is hard to believe that they were never able to figure out who his father was, especially with the media circus that was this trial, that they still haven't been able to find out who her dad was. So I give it up to whoever's, you know, keeping that away from the public if if that's knowledge, because that's that's a hard secret to keep, you know. Yeah, and we saw Jesse Grund, who was Casey's boyfriend, kind of step in and take that fatherly role to Kaylee. Do you want to speak a little bit about that? Absolutely. And I give it up to him, man. That's a at the same time though, that that relationship was weird too, because he also perpetuated that it's okay to lie it's okay to not tell the truth because you know he took her to his parents house for dinner and her parents are like bruh she's pregnant and he's like no she's not she's just gaining weight and and yet his parents knew that she was pregnant and he's just denying it like he is completely oblivious to the fact that she's pregnant or she just he just doesn't want to believe it because I'm sure Casey was lying to him too. Oh, I'm not pregnant. I'm just eating a lot. And or, you know, oh, I'm bloated, or you know, whatever the case is, whatever she told him, you know, he belo- he blindly believed her. And so I give it up to him for wanting to be in Kaylee's life and wanting to take responsibility for that because that is a trait that is very admirable. Uh, but I also don't blame him for wanting to get away from Casey's shit because he probably could not take the lying and the deceit and the deception. And obviously it just got to a point that he couldn't take it anymore and he bailed. And I mean, rightfully so, but I do, I am, I do admire him for wanting to take, uh, take initiative and be a part of Kaylee's life. He sounds like a really great guy, and at least during Kaylee's, you know, very short life, she had some kind of consistency and a father figure, and there were so many people who loved her. Some really interesting things that I really, like, you touched on this a little bit earlier, and it was Casey's graduation. I think this sort of sets the stage for who Casey Anthony is and the type of parents that she had, and I'm not trying to shame Cindy and George Anthony. But this is very much a situation of we find out our daughter's not graduating. 
and we have this party planned. Well, what do we do? Do we cancel the party? And do we tell everybody that Casey isn't graduating? No party for her? What do they do, Kevin? They don't. They go ahead with the party and they convince everybody that that Casey is still graduating. They put on the front. And that, I think, cemented it for her because those are during her formative years. That's when you're learning the most about yourself and learning the most about your traits and the kind of person that you're going to be in the future is usually developed during that time. And so that cemented it to Casey that I can lie, but I don't have any consequences for my actions and I still get celebrated. It, it was like, a, I don't know, it was like a perfect storm in her head. She was able to lie her way through graduation. She never graduated, but she still got the party. Her parents rewarded her for lying. So in her head now, lying gets rewarded. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And it's mind boggling, like how her parents would ever believe her at any point in time, because we know at some point. Casey did work at Universal Studios, but yet she was let go, fired. I don't know exactly how, you know, they parted ways, but she continued to say that she was employed there. She even needed her parents' car, which was that Sunfire, I believe, right? Right. Yeah. And that's another situation of her lying to the bitter end, right? The cops were took her to Universal Studios to be like, oh, show me where you worked, you know, this. And she's literally walking around waving at people and nobody there has any idea who she is. And she's literally trying to like, just lie her way through this until she hits a dead end in the building. And she's like, yeah, okay, I don't work here. You know what I mean? It's literally impressive the type of commitment that Casey has to her lie, because you know that everything is going to come crashing down. Like you're waving at complete strangers like, hey, what's up? And the cops know it's all a ruse. Like, they know you don't work there, Casey. You know, when, right. when are you going to stop this? Most people wouldn't commit to that point. But watching her get caught in the lies, she's sort of like, okay, like, I don't work here. And most people, you'd be like, yes, this person got caught in a lie. But I literally don't think Casey is that bothered by it. She still thinks she's going to get out of it. And to her credit, she does. And that's what's so frustrating. Right. I think in her head, though, If a lie keeps her from trouble, then it's okay. I genuinely think she started to believe some of her own lies. And so I think it's just one of those situations where she, like you said, she's okay with it. She's comfortable with it. And she will tell as many lies as she can to keep herself out of trouble and looking bad. And so that comes with a reinforcing behavior, you know, that comes from her parents reinforcing it. And again, I'm not shaming her parents. Like they probably did the best that they could, but it's also one of those situations where you have to teach your kids not to lie. You have to teach them that there are consequences for their actions. So there was like a major fight between Cindy Anthony and Casey where like, I think things were thrown. Like it was pretty serious right before the last time Kaylee was seen by anybody other than Casey. And Cindy basically said, I'm going to get custody of Kaylee. So this is a pivotal moment. Did Casey willfully choose to end allegedly? You know, she's innocent in the court of law, but we're just talking about our own opinions here. Did she then choose to 
end Kaylee's life? Or was it a result of potentially just negligence and she was then scrambling to cover it up? Like those chloroform searches. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's one of those situations to where I go back and forth on this one because I don't necessarily think that she willfully killed her, like, you know, like, like a murder type thing. But I think that Casey, again, hasn't had any consequences for her actions. And one of the consequences of having unprotected sex is children. It's a potential. Everybody knows it. Right. So at that point, I think she was young. And she wanted to have fun, not excusing it, right? But in Casey's head, lying works. So I think it was a way to knock Kaylee out for extended periods of time so she could go out and have fun and not have to worry about her daughter. Uh, So I think it's a negligence kind of situation. And the chloroform searches is something that chloroform will knock you out for an extended period of time. There's, you know... Yes, you can have, you know, overdose, especially if it's on a child, you know, a level that might not hurt an adult is going to hurt a child. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's possible that it could have just been a situation where Casey wanted, because I I watched a documentary and it was a 48 hours special, I think, and it was a three part special. I'll link it in the show notes. And the friend of Tony Lazaro, who lived with Tony at the time, and that's who Casey was dating. And she had originally brought over Kaylee, like all the time. The guys had got to spend a lot of time with her. They said she was a sweet little girl. But I think he said that, like, you know, she'd sleep for a long period of time. And I think her father, George Anthony, said the same thing. I could be wrong about Tony Lazaro's friend, but George Anthony definitely said that. That it was like leading up to, you know, Kaylee disappearing, there were some changes that she seemed to sleep for far too long. So it was possible that Casey could have been drugging her so that she could go out and have a good time. But the one thing that bothers me with that is that like Cindy Anthony wanted Kaylee. Do you know what I mean? Like she would have looked after her at any point in time. She would have taken custody of Kaylee. So I just don't understand why this is necessary. I think it's one of those things that, you know, speaking on that, you know, they were all, everybody around Kaylee was always reporting that she had bags under her eyes, even after sleeping for all that time. And so I just think that Casey, I mean, who knows? This is pure, purely speculation on my part. Maybe Casey couldn't go through with an abortion. And so she was kind of, working up the nerve to dose her daughter to the point of death. I mean, we don't know, right? Because it's one of those things that a poison death is usually something that happens over time, especially with a kid. And there's so many people around her that are asking about her. So it's not like she can do it immediately. So who knows? Maybe there was some premeditation to it. And she wanted to just had to build up the nerve to give Kaylee that final dose where, you know, she didn't wake up. I, it's so hard because I can't imagine as a parent, not that I'm a parent, but as a parent, you're supposed to protect your children. And of course, we always want to believe that no parent's going to harm their children. But the reality is, is that there's a lot of people out there who do hurt their children, who don't want them. And, you know, Casey Anthony is a prime example of that. And like we're trying to apply logic to the way that Casey Anthony is thinking and she doesn't always behave in a logical manner. And so if 
Casey was like, okay, my mom is saying she's going to take my daughter. That's my daughter. If she was already working up to that final dose, I agree. I think it could have been willful murder. But I'm right. But I go back and forth on was it an accident or did she do this on purpose? The one thing that makes me think she might have done this on purpose and almost like out of spite, like if I can't have her, nobody can have her type thing is that really serious fight with her mom, like the day before Kaylee basically goes missing or nobody sees her saying that she's going to take Kaylee away from Casey. And so Casey, I could see being like, nope, you know, she's my daughter. And after that, we see Casey, like we know people who've dealt with trauma respond in very different ways. But we see all those partying photos of Casey in that like short blue dress, dancing on tables, grinding, and looks like she's living her best life, getting Bella Vita, the beautiful life, like tattooed on her. And it's like, where's Kaylee, you know? And I think she, I don't know, because I, I, I wonder, like I always wonder is if social media wasn't around at the time would this case have blown up the way that it way the, the way that it did right because this case was like right on the brink when social media was starting to be what it is today it's where everybody's connected and everybody can talk about it and and so yeah you see those pictures you see them on social media on the tabloids and you know i think in a sense i think she just wanted to be out from underneath her daughter and but like you have alluded to it's just sad because her mom would have taken care of the daughter like Kaylee would have been taken care of if Casey wouldn't have just been you know so spiteful about it okay so let's talk about that 911 call that Cindy Anthony makes when she's like you know I've got a person here it's this weird kind of like non-committal thing where it seems like she's trying to almost bluff Casey, like, hey, if you're hiding Kaylee, bring her out now. I don't need to finish this call. But then it continues, and it's just so weird. It reminds me of a parent counting to three. Totally. One, two, two and a half, three, you know what I mean? And then it's like, oh, just kidding, like three, you know, because then her mom during the, the trial says, oh, I I was out of my mind that day when I called. Like, she didn't even, like want to commit to that act of calling the police on her daughter you know and her daughter was so like their her jailhouse calls to her parents like she belittled them and she would always berate them and talk down to them and it's one of those things that's like kid you gotta calm down like don't that's that those are your parents you shouldn't be talking to them like that but again it's an action that her parents have rewarded her whole entire life Yeah, and I think that's the problem, right? Is like they're trying to fake out Casey, but the problem is she doesn't have Kaylee. She's not hiding Kaylee. And I think that's really what Cindy Anthony at this point is hoping for, right? That somehow this is going to scare Casey into telling her where Kaylee is. Like, where's my granddaughter? And I think she's operating on like hope and faith. However false that is, I can't fault Cindy Anthony because I literally don't believe that she knows what's going on at this point she should have acted sooner of course she should have but i i think that she's trying to like ride that line between not wanting to be fully told by casey like you're out of our lives and i think that's difficult and everyone can point the finger and say you know it was too long she should have called the police earlier and yes she should have in hindsight but 
The reality is she didn't. And when she did, she mentioned the dead body smell. And it's so interesting because they bring up at trial so much with the decomposition smell in the trunk and the stain and the hair with the decomposition banding that was, you know, mitochondrial match for either Casey, Kaylee, or Cindy Anthony. And obviously, by process of, you know, deduction, knowing that neither Cindy nor Casey are deceased, it's got to be Kaylee. And it seems like with that evidence, it's got to be enough, but it just isn't. I, and it's one of those things too, because when they were bluffing, you know, and it, it, again, it got to a point with Casey that there was no return. She couldn't lie her way out anymore. It was whatever, 30 plus days that nobody had seen Kaylee. You know, she, even this poor woman, you know, Zanny the nanny or Zanida Fernandez Gonzalez that she blamed it on. I mean, she came up with an apartment complex, an apartment number. And she even had a nickname for this nanny. And I think that was Casey's subconscious, maybe, you know, getting at her, eating at her a little bit, because why would she name her Zanny the nanny? Why would that be the nickname that she would come up with, right? It's not close to her name. But you have Xanax, right? And people do call them Zanny bars and stuff like that. So I think that was kind of Casey's, you know, potentially Casey's way of saying, hey, you know what, this is, you know, this is eating at me and this is what I did. But at the same time, it's just like, you know, and then she she has this woman who's now, you know, who ended up going after her. I don't remember what the outcome of it was, but, you know, so it's just crazy that it got to a point. And, and I don't want to believe that George was involved in covering it up, but a lot of the evidence points that he had something you know what I mean some kind of involvement not during the fact but it it definitely points to him having some sort of involvement after the fact but why he would continue to protect his daughter to this day is beyond me she calls George and Cindy like there is this it's almost like this is what leads me to believe that it could have been an accident like I'm 50 50 I really don't know But the day after that fight that she had with her mother, Cindy Anthony, like the day basically Kaylee goes missing, there's like these rapid fire calls to her parents. And like, why is she calling her mom after like, I think her mom tried to like strangle her or something. It was pretty serious. And it looked like she was reaching out for some kind of help. So I think it's possible that George may have helped his daughter cover it up. Again, I'm completely undecided, but I think there is some evidence to suggest that it's possible. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. One hundred percent. I mean, and then to the mere fact that Casey would allow her attorney during trial to accuse her father of being a predator, you know, sexually abusing her. It only came up one time, never spoke about again. But somehow that was she allowed him to talk, you know, to accuse him. And I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying victims shouldn't speak up, right? There's tons of cases where the victims wait till the, you know, a long time to say anything. So I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, is that it's disgusting that this came out during her trial and Casey never spoke about it before or after. So it's one of those tactics that if her dad did help her cover it up, like she threw him under the bus and on the biggest stage possible because this this trial 
I mean, there were millions of eyes on it. I still remember the day that, you know, it came out that she was found not guilty for murder. And it's like how, like, there was a lot of outrage and it just, I don't know, man, I don't know how she would allow her defense attorney to speculate about something like that. Okay, so where I fall on that, that's it's so difficult because we can't say, you know, definitively that this didn't happen. You know, we've got Casey who behaves in a manner that is just incomprehensible to most people. And if she was indeed sexually abused, it might explain some of these later behaviors. I'm not saying that I think that George Anthony did anything to his daughter, but I'm just saying that I can't rule it out because we just don't know. You know what I mean? Just because Casey acts like, you know, how many people think like a dirtbag, it doesn't mean that ter- the terrible things didn't happen to her. Right. And I'm not dismissing that fact, right? I, it's definitely not the point that I want to get across. It's because, you know, a lot of victims act out and they act in different ways because of trauma. It's just... It's almost like it just comes across just the optics of it. It just doesn't, I don't know. It just never sat well with me. Now I will never, ever blame a victim. You know what I mean? That's, that's a hard thing to live through, but it's, it's just, I don't know. It just never sat well with me that that's something that came out at trial. You know what I mean? And to be honest, like the dynamic within the Anthony family, I just don't get the vibe that George Anthony was this like, you know, somebody who would be shielded by Cindy. Cindy very much was, you know, very domineering, very like omnipresent force within this family. It seems like everything that, you know, everybody did, Cindy would have something to say about it. So do I think that George Anthony would have gotten away with, you know, sexually abusing eight-year-old Casey with Cindy Anthony watching? I don't think so. I think the probability is low, but I just can't dismiss it. And I 100% agree with you. It seemed very much like Jose Baez, who was the attorney for Casey, was using every single dirty trick in the book. And he's very much like that sensational showman type of a lawyer. And like, you, it's no more apparent than, you know, the stories that you hear about Casey paying him in sexual favors and being seen naked in his office. And like somebody saying to her, hey, Casey, like you don't have to do that because he's selling photos of you and Kaylee to the press and making hundreds of thousands of dollars. So you don't have to continue to do that. I don't know if they had like a relationship or what was going on there, but it was really bizarre. I 100% agree with that. That's something else that that's just, I don't know, man. Like, it's just the whole, her pure arrogance to just be able to still act like nothing is going on. You're literally involved in, like, one of the biggest trials of, like, the decades. You know what I mean? Like, the, it, something that started in the in the mid-2000s and it didn't end, you know what I mean, until later on. And it's like, and you're still out there partying and you still want to go do this and that. And then you're seen sleeping with your attorney. And that's the one of the problems that I have with the justice system is that how many times have you seen somebody get off because they have a lawyer who can present doubt, but they're not presenting facts. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter what the facts are. It matters what you make it look like. 
And, you know, unfortunately he did, he did his job. Like that was his job was to defend her. Now I'm not saying it makes it right, but he did do his job. Oh, he definitely did his job and he made a huge name for himself because he was relatively unknown before the Casey Anthony trial. And I think he saw a huge opportunity and rightfully so, because when it comes down to it, it's like, who is the better storyteller? In court, right. right? Sure, the facts matter and the evidence matters, but a lot of times it's dueling experts. So it's whoever can make the jury pay attention while they're talking. And I think a lot of times trials are a snooze fest. So you get somebody like Baez who's jumping around and he's animated and so full of energy and like everything that he's saying is like incendiary. You're going to pay attention. Right. And so I, I, I don't know, man. It's hard and it makes me sad because the the reality is is that they had Casey and they should have I don't know. I, I don't know how she was found not guilty. I've seen trials that have had far less evidence but have been found guilty for far worse crimes and sit on death row for an eternity, not you know, and then be exonerated. I just don't understand how she, she must just be the luckiest person in the world. I mean, it's got to be something. I honestly think it comes down to Cindy Anthony. And I think she basically made that choice. Like, hey, I've already lost my granddaughter. Do I also want to lose my daughter? And I think that she just doubled down on Casey at that point. And she was willing to say and do anything to protect her daughter. And like, we can judge her for doing something like that, for, you know, potentially lying on the stand, the whole searching for chlorophyll, but actually chloroform came up when <laughs> when those searches were done at a time when we know that Casey was home and not Cindy. So trying to say it was you searching for chlorophyll because you were worried about like your dog eating grass or whatever is like the silliest explanation ever. So I think it comes down to Cindy Anthony personally, had she not been on her daughter's side, had she not so ardently defended her i don't think that casey would be walking free today what do you think yeah i don't think so either i think if her family was on the prosecution side during the trial i think it would have helped sway the jury to the other side uh because her you know nobody testified against her nobody in her family you know so how how can there be doubt when you know there's that her family is backing her you know, that speaks volumes in a court of showmanship. You can't even, like, her family is protecting her. I, I find it unfortunate that her family did go to the lengths that they did to protect her, to to reinforce this kind of behavior, that they didn't stick up for what's right. Because the reality is that Casey had something to do with Kaylee Anthony's death, period. Whether it be neglectful or purposeful that Kaylee should be in jail for it 100%. She she didn't get charged with um with homicide, she didn't get charged with uh murder, she didn't get charged with any of those. She got charged with lying to the police, you know, perjury, not perjury, but lying to the police and that's it. Like how, like how is it even possible? And I know that the court of public opinion is different than the court of law, but it's one of those things that they just didn't get this one right. She deserves to be in jail 100%. And 
it's unfortunate that she couldn't, you know, just take responsibility for her actions. I really feel for George Anthony here. Like, I know he had a a bit of difficulty following the death of Kaylee. There was an attempt or me, I don't know if it was a suicide attempt, but there was an intervention called police came, I believe it was like to a hotel or something. And he'd written a note and it said something like, Kaylee, here I come. And I know there was some marital discord between him and Cindy. And it was sort of like they were going to get divorced, but they weren't because Cindy was like, oh, well, then I'm going to have to pay him alimony because he had he seemed to have a bit of a spotty employment record, like he would get dismissed quite often. So it seemed like he very much took a backseat to Cindy. And then seeing him sit there at the trial, you know, after Jose Baez had said that, like, so explicitly about about eight-year-old Casey like having her father's penis in her mouth and then poor George Anthony is like sitting there watching and listening and still supporting his daughter it's just beyond me right and that's another I I don't know man like I don't know how all right so let's do a hypothetical like what would you be able to just from everything you know in this case I mean there's with Kate, with Cindy, she 100% believes that she's innocent, that Kaylee's or that Casey is innocent. And George is like, definitely thinks she's involved, but that she had help. And I'm wondering if that suicide came from the guilt of helping her. Maybe he helped her without knowing that he was helping her dispose of her body. Or maybe he provided a ride, you know, not knowing where Casey was going. You know, there's obviously lying is very much okay for this family. So who knows what the actual truth is? Like who, who helped who, you know, I definitely don't think Cindy was involved, but you know, maybe George did do something that, that caused him so much grief that he did try to kill himself. Yeah, and he probably did it out of love for his daughter, right? If he did indeed do something like that. And, like, we know this family will lie at all costs. Like, you know, you brought up the whole Zanny the nanny thing. This wasn't, like, something that Casey just materialized. She'd been bringing up Zanny the nanny for, like, a year and a half or something. She'd been, like, sowing the seeds of this being an actual person. And like said right. that she'd worked with her at Universal Studios, where we also know Casey no longer worked. So she'd come up with this completely fictitious person and like just lies about something for so long. Like if you've already been talking about this person and like saying, you know, this is where Kaylee's going. Did you have a plan or were you just like working up to something? So the fact that George Anthony may have lied here maybe even lied to Cindy Anthony, because I genuinely don't think that Cindy Anthony knew, right? Like, I don't think she did. I don't either. I don't, I think she was completely in the dark about it. I think she had no knowledge because I don't think she would have let anything happen. I don't think if she knew there was an inclination of some kind of bad situation going on with Kaylee, I don't think she would have allowed it to continue. I think she would have put her foot down and taken control of Kaylee right then and there. So let's talk a little bit about the the discovery of Kaylee's body, because this has been so controversial and the experts really like duped it out in court over this duct tape. 
Yeah, that's definitely a point of contention within, you know, and I've seen a lot of different experts who fight back and forth on that. And, and it's one of those things, I, I feel bad for the sanitation worker who found her uh, because, well, a finding a dead body probably isn't a pleasant experience, but, you know, they at some point were, you know, pointing the finger at him. And so I, I don't know, man, I, I, it's, I think it's amazing that they're able to, you know, inspect a roll of duct tape and a piece of duct tape to see if they go together. Uh, I find that to be very, you know, I, I find it, find that fascinating. Uh, but yeah, definitely it, it was probably used as a form of, you know, keeping her quiet, you know, like we don't know really what Casey was doing to during long extended stated period of times that she was sleeping or she was disappearing or, you know, who knows? And that's, again, maybe it's another neglectful situation. She, you know, tied her up and, and put duct tape over her mouth so she couldn't scream and put her in a closet somewhere and just didn't come back, you know, in enough time. And, you know, Kaylee just couldn't breathe and Casey didn't realize it. And, and there you go. Now you have, you know, her, her unfortunately deceased with duct tape over her face. You know what I mean? I feel really bad for that sanitation worker too, because this is one part that blows my mind. You know that little Kaylee Anthony is missing Florida police, right? So you've got this guy who apparently calls this in multiple times about the skull and they're like, yeah, yeah, we're sending someone out to go look at it. But they don't. It takes like multiple calls. And then this poor guy at one point like pokes the skull with a stick. And then they try to like tear this apart, like Jose Baez saying like, oh, you know, basically contaminated the scene. He brings on experts saying it's contaminated now. And I find it like so mind boggling that you can have somebody like, I understand these experts, you know, you got Dr. Werner Spitz, who's an incredibly well-renowned pathologist. And he gets up there and, you know, speaking about the duct tape and he's like, you know, there isn't any DNA on the front or the back. You'd expect it to be there. So you can't say that it was necessarily on Kaylee's face. And it's like, sure, but it's been out in the elements for like over a month. Was it like two right. months or something like that? It was a very long time that, that it was out there. And especially in Florida with the heat and the humidity and, uh, you know, that blaring sun that just deteriorates things when it just sits there in the sun. Yeah. And then you've got Dr. G, who, you know, is the famous, you know, Dr. G medical examiner now. And she gets up there and she's talking about how, you know, she believes that the duct tape was on there before and that it could have been the murder weapon, which we can't tell if a body has been skeletonized, right? You, you don't have any body tissues in order to tell you those things. You can only kind of make those jumps based on what little you have. Yeah. And again, it's without them being able to factually prove that it was on her body or not. I mean, it's hard to say if the duct tape was even involved, maybe it's something that, you know, blew and, and everybody knows that duct tape's pretty sticky and maybe it just happened to stick. You know what I mean? So happened to stick to the skull <laughs> right on your face. Like what I mean, are the chances? It, right. But, but that's what I'm saying though. That's where that doubt comes in. That's totally. where you can't prove if it was there before or after no. because you know, it, it, there's no DNA, there's no fingerprints, there's nothing. So it's, it's just, it's crazy. The evidence in the case is crazy that, and it, it's the way it's laid out. It's like, 
you can literally stay on the fence about it without any personal feelings and look at it and say it's hard to point definitively that she's guilty by just the facts you know what i mean it's it's just hard man It, it is it's a hard case it's the it's a hard case and you can't tell from from the skeletonized remains of kaylee if that duct tape was placed there if it just randomly got there, like you said, I think it's completely improbable that that happened. But of course, it's there's a possibility. But there's also the fact that Casey could have, say, Kaylee died and it was negligence. She fell in the pool. She gave her some kind of substance and Kaylee didn't wake up. She could have staged it after the fact because she set it up already looking like Zanny the nanny has her kid. So then if they're going to find Kaylee's remains to have a believe that maybe she was kidnapped and somebody else disposed of her it seems like that would be something that casey could have thought of so i can't say like one way or the other like if if we are to believe that that was on kaylee's face and that it was put there by casey we still don't know if it was done prior to her death or if it was done posthumously right right without a doubt and that's the you know just the fact that the body had been sitting in that spot for so long that, you know, vegetation had actually started growing in, you know, inside of Kaylee's skeleton. So the reality is, is that, you know, we can't prove whether it was there before or after because there's no evidence on it to suggest otherwise. Yeah, it's all of the forensics in this case are so confounding because you have really great experts on both sides and you're listening to them you're like okay well you're saying makes sense maybe that's a bit of a stretch and so i bet the jury was just left really confused because you've got these people who are so well respected within forensic science telling you oh it's this and then on the other side they're saying it's this so it's almost like it cancels each other out and you're just left really confused right and how is a person who is not an expert who has really no idea what they're talking about. The words are foreign. The, the terms that they're used is foreign. Yes, they explain it to them. But if the experts can't agree on something, I don't know how 12 people are supposed to agree on something. You know what I mean? No, well, that's a great point, right? Because if you don't have a background in forensic science, it's all going to be like just a bunch of gobbledygook that you're relying on scientists or pathologists to explain to you right like that whole decomposition smell in the trunk you know test thing and it's like okay well is this junk science is it real science type thing if you're a jury member it's all very confusing it's not just so simple as dna we're talking about like the smell of decomposition being tested it's got to be really overwhelming and you're relying on a jury where these people aren't scientists they're not experts so you've got experts who are dueling it out on both sides and you're left going, okay, it, well, you know, like you said, with the whole duct tape thing, there is some doubt. They've poked some holes and that is what Jose Baez has done a really good job of. He's done a pretty good job of just putting enough doubt in the state's case that it's like, okay, well, could it have been something else? Right. And that's the... Uh... You know, Jose Baez, I, I, I mean, he, he did what he was supposed to do. I mean, it was even after the fact, even after the trial was done, you know, that more search history was coming out, you know, that somebody searched on the computer, you know, foolproof suffocation. 
you know, and Jose basically said, you know, after the fact that if that would have came up in trial, you know, there's a good chance, you know, he wouldn't have been able to explain that away. But, you know, and I think that's where the outrage, the public outrage came from is the prosecutors, in my opinion, went for a too, too harsh of a punishment. You know, I think they were going for what murder one instead of going for like manslaughter or negligent homicide or, you know, something like that. And I think that's where the jury wasn't able to convict her on because they were going for such a, a harsh charge instead of trying to get the low hanging fruit and potentially nailing her for murder later on. You know what I mean? Yeah. I honestly think you're right. I think they should have just taken whatever they could get, you know, not like charge her with this or charge her with nothing, like give her a lesser charge when you don't, cause they didn't give the jury that option. Did they? They did not know. Yeah. And I think kind of lose out when, cause oftentimes juries will do that. Like, okay, well, you know, maybe we can't all agree on this, but let's let's agree on a lesser charge. But they really wanted all or nothing here. And I think you see that with prosecutors sometimes. And I don't know if it's hubris, because you definitely have a pretty good case here. We've seen people convicted on far less. So I can see why they were like, okay, a jury of 12 people, they're going to see that Casey Anthony is indeed responsible for the death of Kaylee. But what isn't clear is if it was murder. No, and that that is it. It's 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 one of those things, and now she can never be tried for it again. She was found not guilty by a, a jury of her peers. She cannot be charged for with murder of her daughter ever again because in our justice system, you can't have double jeopardy. Yeah, I think it's just it's so unfortunate. I think it's so strange that Casey continues to live her life in Florida. Do you think that she's somebody that was like, okay, well, in Florida, I may be really hated, but everybody knows who I am. There's a certain type of like celebrity or notoriety that goes along with being Casey Anthony. Well, the crazy part too, speaking of like that celebrity and notoriety is, you know, like right after the fact, there was that poor woman, I think in like Colorado or something, she was ran off the road because they thought she looked like Casey Anthony. You know, so there's a lot of people who are paying for her celebrity, I guess. You know, I shouldn't say a lot of people, but, you know, people who look like her, I'm sure get double crossed looks. And, you know, so I think it's arrogant on her part to stay within a community that you literally just spit on. But I think, again, that's Casey convinced herself that she didn't do anything wrong. There had never been any responsibility for her actions to begin with. So she's able to live in the community, become a private investigator, and just live her life like nothing happened because that's what she was trained. That's what she was taught from a young age. Didn't doesn't matter what you do as long as you're living your life. And so it's just she's very selfish. She's very arrogant. And I, you know, I just think she got away with one and and now she gets to rub it in everybody's face. I watched Bailey Sarian's like, you know, makeup and murder video, makeup mystery murder video on Casey Anthony. And she was like, uh, when I was doing my research, I was surprised that more people hadn't like kicked Casey's ass. 
She's like, I'm not advocating for violence, but like, I thought that I would see a bunch of things come up about that. And when I Googled it, I, I think there was like something rather recently about somebody like throwing a drink in her face or something, but I'd never seen anything so horrible. You know, like nothing really awful has happened to right. her, to my knowledge. No, and, and there hasn't been. And that's the crazy part too, is that the public accord opinion has something to say, but they don't, but they've left her alone. And I don't, and it's because of the, the, the mere fact of that she was found not guilty, even though everybody knows she's guilty or assumes that she's guilty. So it, not advocating for it, but I am surprised that nothing truly bad has happened to her. I mean, not to bring up another sore subject, but you look at, you know, George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin and that guy, he's got fucked up a couple of times and but casey's just walking around you know free as a bird you know uh, just living my life telling people i don't care what you think about me you know i don't you know i i would not be surprised if after so many years that she puts out a book or does a movie or you know who god only knows what she's gonna do to cash in on this isn't she like a private investigator now or working for a private investigator she was at one point or another. I don't know if she still is now, but I know she was at one point. Oh, God. So this is People Magazine. is written by Steve Helling. So I'm just going to read it ver- verbatim here. Casey Anthony starts PI firm, claims she wants to help other wrongfully accused women. <laughs> oh, dear. It's that arrogance, Jules. Like, how the... <sighs> Okay, let me read this here. Okay, so I'm going to quote Steve Helling here. So, Casey Anthony raised eyebrows last December when she filed paperwork to open a private investigation company in South Florida, leading many to speculate why she would want to start a business in the legal field. Although some news reports have implied that Anthony wants to investigate the 2008 death of her two-year-old daughter Kaylee, a source close to Anthony says that's not the case. That's a closed chapter in her life, says the insider. She's not starting a company to get answers about Kaylee. Isn't that intense? Like, other wrongfully (laughs) accused women? Nobody believes that, Casey. Oh, my God, dude. That's the arrogance of her, though. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'll give it to her. She is ballsy. Like, she has no shame and no idea of the gravity of the situation that she was involved in. She got away with it. She right. got away with it all. <laughs> like, what? Uh, and, like, I we know. can't even shade her arrogance because she's arrogant because she continues to get away with things. Her parents right. let her get away with everything. <laughs> she literally got away with murder or neglect, in my opinion. I know. Because it's one of those things that you can go scream in her face and say, you're guilty. But she's like, nah, I'm not because I was found not guilty. And it's like... And you can't, it's like, well, yeah, you're not wrong because you were found not guilty. It's just, it's crazy. It's, I don't know, man. It's, it's that arrogance that frustrates me too, because I'm just like, how can you, like the outrage, like this case is, is frustrating from beginning to end because it's like, it took the media by storm. It was all over social media. I remember it was 2008. I was in my early twenties and I'm like, like this is insane like how is this chick not arrested she had something to do with her daughter but yet here we are in 2022 casey anthony was found not guilty kaylee anthony is unfortunately deceased 
and we he are here we are still talking about her and how is it it just doesn't make sense and i think it's so sad too because casey anthony behaved in i mean i'm not gonna say she's like a monster but like the fact that she continues to lie about everything and seems to show a lack of empathy like no regard for her daughter in those interviews those jailhouse interviews with her parents it's sort of like the eye rolling and like the lack of tears, the lack of emotion when her parents are clearly feeling all of these deep emotions about Kaylee being missing, their daughter being in jail, and Casey just dismisses them. And it's really hard to watch. Right. And that it just, the whole thing frustrates me. The way she talked to her parents, the way she talked to her friends, the way she stole from her, her family, the way she stole from her friends. I mean, just everything and she always got away with it that's the part that infuriates me how like how do you get away with so many things that bad things that you're doing without any kind of repercussions it's just it's infuriating Ugh, that investigation discovery special that i watched that three-parter george anthony was talking about it and him and there is no relationship between him and Casey and him and Cindy are still together, which doesn't really surprise me because if you go through something like that, it's literally like trauma bonding, I think. Right. It's one of those things that either makes or breaks a relationship. It either drives you closer or you guys just part ways. There is really no in between. The media circus that surrounded them too. Like, do you remember, I, like for whatever reason, it's sort of like the same era as Britney Spears with that umbrella and the shaved head when she was going through that mental health crisis and it was just so heartbreaking and the media was all over her well the media was doing the same thing to George and Cindy Anthony and Cindy Anthony and George Anthony were acting in a way that was just fueling the fire right you know if you go back and you watch those clips it's like whoa it's a lot and you can tell they were in a great deal of turmoil oh 100 percent and that's the problem, I, 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 social media is a blessing and a curse. The media is, you know, it, it helps us stay connected and that's the blessing part. But unfortunately, perceptions, right? Everybody perceives, you know, them for doing whatever they're doing. And it might be a normal day for them or, you know, the way that they come off in the media, whatever the case is, you know, or the way that a video comes across. Now, now you have, literally millions upon millions of eyes and voices you know controlling that narrative and so it's i don't know man i i think that the social media age has created some of these these stories like this you know that are they're they're captivating and that's the other thing and what was her name nancy grace you know she ran with this shit uh all of them yeah. you know what i mean it was it's it's one of those things and Casey I think part of it too like the the like the frustration and the anger that people have for her it, it, there's you know video clips of her out there talking and she's just like I don't give a shit what you think about me I don't care I sleep okay at night and it's like mm, that just that part just doesn't sit well with people you know what I mean no it doesn't but Casey Anthony doesn't care how it sits well with if it sits well with any of us <laughs> So right. she's, she's sleeping just fine at night. So while <laughs> all of us are fretting about poor little Kaylee, Casey Anthony's, you know, living her best life, I don't doubt. Because we know one month after, 
She was out there getting tattoos and dancing on tables. So although I'm sure she's mellowed out now, she's still just doing whatever she's doing. And I mean, wasn't it a wet t-shirt contest that oh, she went not, to? It was a hot body contest. Whatever. Oh, that there you is. go. Hot, hot body contest. And like not shaming anyone. If you want to be part of a hot body contest, go for it. But it just in the wake of the disappearance of your daughter, it just seems like a strange choice. <laughs> uh, strange would be the least the understatement of the year right there totally and before we wrap up talking about this case can you talk a little bit about what people said about little kaylee anthony because i think she's the heart of this story and why so many of us care and we focus a lot on casey let's focus on kaylee for a minute i think she was a beautiful little girl uh she had uh, you know i don't know just a light to her eyes i think that was diminished too soon And I think a lot of people saw their daughters or their grandchildren in her or their sisters. And so it's, it's hard to imagine that anybody would want to harm her. So I definitely hate the fact that Casey gets so much of the attention, but she's still here while Kaylee's not. So unfortunately that's where the narrative gets turned, but Kaylee was she was a beautiful little girl. It reminds me of like watching my sister grow up and, you know, cause there's a huge age difference between us. So I, I just see a lot of that. And it's, it's, so it's hard to swallow the fact that somebody is capable of diminishing such a beautiful little girl. She was apparently really smart too, really advanced, knew her ABCs, I think. And she knew her colors like well beyond what was her age. So it's just this, the greatest tragedy here is that this beautiful, intelligent, sweet little girl, her life was taken far too soon and we never got to see the young woman and then, you know, the adult that she would become and what what impact she would have on the world. And that is just what really hurts my heart about the story. 100%. It's, it's, it's one of those things that if she was born under different circumstances that we might not ever know who she was or who she is or what she did with her life. Uh, But unfortunately she'll forever be known as Casey Anthony's daughter. And it's gut wrenching the fact that Kaylee, you know, that she was killed the way that she was because she didn't deserve it. No child deserves to go through that. Nobody, well, nobody deserves to be killed, but, you know, no child deserves to go through that. She's innocent. She had, was full of life and she had a lot of people around her who loved her. And I just wish that Casey would have just let Kaylee go, like let her go with her grandparents, put her in, even put her in the system as messed up as the system is, at least she still would have had a chance at life. She had people that loved her, that were willing to take her, that wanted her. And I think that that's what is just heartbreaking because Cindy and George would have taken Kaylee if that was the issue for Casey. You know what I mean? If she wanted to just go out and party, well, she could have gone out and party. We just don't know what happened. And at the end of the day, there's so many people that are left crushed by this and especially like George Anthony is really hard to watch in interviews. It's hard to watch Cindy as well. You can tell that the two of them are so impacted even today by what happened to their granddaughter and what happened with their daughter. It's just left this indelible mark on the Anthony family. 
from top to bottom too. It's not just, you know, who, yeah, we hear about George and Cindy, you know, what about her brother Lee? What about Grant? Right. You know, you know, your actions have deeper ramifications than you'll ever know. And, and, and that's the hard part, you know, or not the hard part. That's the sad part about this is that how many people did her bad choices affect, you know what I mean? Oh, totally. I think that Casey's, it basically like ripples out, right? That every single person with the last name Anthony who's connected to her, there's going to be some level of stigma attached to being related to Casey Anthony. Nobody wants to be Casey Anthony's aunt, uncle, brother, whatever it is. Like, I, I'm really curious. I would like to hear what, you know, what's going on with Lee. And right. how this has impacted his life. But I haven't seen any interviews recently with him. So I really don't know. Have you? I have not. Would you change your last name if it was Anthony? Well, I mean, it's a pretty common last name. So um, if I was related to Casey, I mean, <laughs> maybe. Like if my name was like George or Cindy Anthony and I wanted to move on, maybe I'd change my last name. But like, I mean, it, it's a real. it's like. Campbell or Smith, Smith or something, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think that pretty much wraps up the case of Kaylee and Casey Anthony. So, Kevin, do you want to talk about your podcast, The Jury Room? Sure. So, The Jury Room podcast is another true crime podcast, kind of covers serial killers, missing cases, unsolved mysteries, and everything in between. I've got episodes for everybody out there. I can't believe I'm coming up on my 50th episode already. I, I think I'm 10 away now at this point. Um, so, but I do when I, I do an episode every week, so I'll do a case and then I bring a guest on and we talk about it. And, you know, so that way that's kind of what the, the, the German podcast is about. Uh, like I said, I'm getting ready to dive into the addiction series. So that's something that's going to be a little bit different. I'm still planning on putting out some true crime content, but it's more or less probably going to take a back seat for a little bit you can find me on anywhere you listen to this podcast you can find me on most social media platforms uh at jury room podcast uh you can send me an email at jury room podcast at gmail.com but yeah thanks for having me on jules i'm glad we finally got to sit down and do this you're so welcome and before you go kevin do you want to tell us a little bit about your addiction series absolutely so I'm working on an addiction series and addiction is something that has affected many people in my life. And I'm sure many of you out there, uh, but more or less working on a series, you know, talking about the war on drugs, you know, how the different schedules are just the, the craziness of, of how addiction affects everybody. And it's, it's something that I didn't realize, I guess it affected as much as it was since I started doing research on it. So it's definitely something that is near and dear to my heart. So I'm excited about that. That should be coming out soon, probably within the next couple of months. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I'm really excited too, because this is something that like I've always been interested in, like the show's Drugs Inc. and stuff like that, how drugs are made, how they're farmed, how they get into the hands of the, the consumer and how it ends up affecting people, but also how... Like, what a deep impact it can have on people's lives. And I've spoken about it in, like, I myself have dealt with addiction issues. And I went to rehab seven years ago. I think it was seven, eight years ago now. And it was an incredibly 
beneficial experience for me and that I was able to get my life together and get everything on track. But so many people struggle day to day. And the fact that I know Kevin is going to take a really empathetic approach to each person's story and going to humanize everybody and treat everybody like this isn't a problem with low morality. This is, you know, typically a trauma problem. People have had traumatic things in their life that have happened that have led them to have a rational kind of, it's sort of like a a rational response to trauma where you want to lessen the pain. And that's where people reach for substances. Right. And it's not something that just affects, I don't want to say, I don't want to sound like classism, but I mean, it, it affects people of low income to people that are, you know, have lots and lots of money. It's not something that just affects one group or the other, right? It affects a broad spectrum of people, whether it be that it's an anxiety problem, like you said, past trauma, um, depression, I mean, you name it. But the reality is, is that one of the things that I want to hit on is the ridiculousness of the war on drugs. Most drugs have been legal throughout time, whether it be from opium, maybe probably not the only one is meth, but most drugs have been legal at one point or another. And it's one of those things that I want to find out why they're not legal. I think it's something that should be legal across the board. I feel like we would have to have less overdoses. There would be more support for addicts as far as now, you know what I mean? Like teaching people how, you know, what happens during an overdose. If your friend is overdosing, you wouldn't be scared to call the cops or you know, call paramedics because then you wouldn't be afraid to get in trouble. Like there's just so many different reasons why awareness needs to be brought to this. And and it's one of those things that if I can help one person along the way, I mean, it's going to make everything worth it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're so right that it, it definitely doesn't discriminate. Like the rehab that I went to was Promises in Malibu. And it was a rehab where I think it's now the luxury rehab part is closed. But like Britney Spears and Ben Affleck went there and like Tina Turner, lots of celebrities went there. And there is a parallel program, which I still think they have going, which was a professionals program. And it was basically like um, people would come to the place where I went and they would detox. And it was like a lot of doctors. And then they go on and they do the professionals program, which was like, I think, half the cost, but more independence. So it was a completely different program. And you see that it touches every single type of person. Like you said, it doesn't discriminate on, you know, class or wealth or education. You can pretty much say that addiction touches most people. It's like cancer, right? Right. It's one of those things. And and you, you yourself might not be suffering from addiction, but I can almost guarantee you, you have a family member that has suffered from addiction, whether it be an uncle who drinks too much. Or, you know, a cousin who, you know, got addicted to pills during college, you know, a brother or a sister who got addicted to drugs. And it's one of those things that the the justice system, at least in America, is set up for addicts to fail. You don't get help. They don't get counseling. They get thrown in a prison cell and then they get out, but they haven't been taught not to, you know, how to cope with their trauma. They don't fix their problems. It's more or less, you know, it's a criminalization and not, you know, not there to help somebody. Yeah. And I think you touched on this earlier. I think I personally agree with you that if drugs were legalized, then you could control the purity. So you wouldn't have issues with people, you know, overdosing on fentanyl. Like you're always going to have an illegal drug market, 
But then you see this whole new taxable revenue stream for the government, which they can then channel into rehabilitation programs. And there's been other countries, I can't offhand remember which one, like one of the Nordic countries, was it Germany, maybe? I can't remember. I think it's like Switzerland or something like that. Where they 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 ended up decriminalizing or like legalizing (laughs) all drugs. And then they saw the actual people who were in their addiction, the numbers dropped considerably and people were actually getting help. And then programs were provided to them to help deal with their trauma. And I think that's where they put that tax on there. So I think there are other models that countries can follow, but I don't think that the USA is necessarily doing the best job. Some states are better than others for sure. Well, it's like this. Okay. So marijuana is a schedule one drug in the United States. Now it's the same schedule as heroin. You can get the same amount of time for having marijuana as you can for heroin, right? Okay. But let's think about this. How many people have you heard getting too drunk and killing somebody or getting too drunk and dying from alcohol poisoning. But have you ever heard of a pothead getting too high and dying? I haven't. And I haven't heard of a pothead, you know, necessarily killing somebody. And I know that I'm sure there are cases out there, but they're far and few in between than people who drink alcohol. And if they were to just take marijuana off of the schedule, you know, off of the schedule, now we can do research. Marijuana if you even if just take out the THC, but the marijuana plant itself has so many healing capabilities, you can create medicine. Look, they've created CBD in the last few years that that craze has taken off. You've got all kinds of different healing products, properties, not even just to get high, but you have the male marijuana plant, which is hemp, that you can create fiber, you can create paper, you can create a more sustainable. Um, way of living for a lot of people and it's a lot more yield and less time than growing trees right now if we start using hemp now we have more plants growing we're not deforesting the world so then that way we still have oxygen like there's so much that goes into it but it's one of those things that it's it's like i don't want to say crazy you know but it's it's like big business controls what you know what i mean what we do and it's like the paper industry is going to lobby against marijuana being legal. You know, oil is going to lobby against it. You know, there's so many different things that stop just this one specific drug from just getting off the schedule so they can do research on it. Like you can't get federal funding if you're researching marijuana because marijuana is illegal. Even though all these states are now legalizing it in America, technically you could still get, you could still catch federal charges for it. Because it's still illegal federally. You know what I mean? It's super confusing in the US. Like I was actually looking up the legality of it because I wasn't really sure in Canada what the laws were with magic mushrooms because I saw this poster on like a lamppost and I was like, oh, interesting. I wonder if they're just not enforcing it, which was sort of the path to legalization with marijuana in Canada. And personally, I think that microdosing hallucinogenics is like going to be a wave of the future. It's there's so many different clinical studies that have shown that they can be incredibly beneficial in a therapeutic environment that it allows people to open up and to share things and to get so much more out of therapy. So I think there, like you said, there's so many different healing properties. There's so many different things that we're just beginning to understand. 
I think that as we kind of move forward as a society and hopefully our viewpoints towards drugs start to change in that like marijuana doesn't deserve to be in the same category as heroin. It's so ridiculous, you know? Cocaine, cocaine is a schedule two, but marijuana is a schedule one. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, like it's insane the way that the scheduling is in America when it comes to the drugs. Like it it blows my mind. Like there you wouldn't even believe like schedule two, schedule three, schedule four, schedule five drugs that are less quote unquote addictive than marijuana is scheduled as. That's the crazy part about it. Okay, it's so strange. You're in California. I looked up that Oakland it's legal or like decriminalized to do magic mushrooms uh, or psilocybin or whatever is legal there or decriminalized. And same with, I think, Colorado. I think it's Oregon. Yeah, maybe. But maybe. Maybe it's Oregon. I think Colorado. I can't remember. There was a, and Santa Cruz as well. So there was Mm. like a few cities, but then federally you could actually get in trouble for that because it's still classified under like the federal classifications. And I don't know where mushrooms fall in that classification. It might be a Schedule 1, though. I, I'm not exactly sure where that one schedules. It's definitely something that I'm going to cover. But it's, you know, it's one of those things that even though states are legalizing it, like, I think the federal government's kind of taken it by a trial and error type of thing. Let's see how much money they can make. I mean, like, the marijuana tax in California is like 13.8% or some shit, right? So. You figure for every hundred dollars you're spending thirteen dollars just on taxes. I mean, it's 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 outrageous, and but rightfully so. Like, it's taxed. You're you know what you're getting. You know, most of the time that kind of stuff comes you know sealed. That way you're not you know what you're getting. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Kevin. I really appreciate it. I always love chatting with you about cases, and please. Everybody, if you haven't already gone and subscribed to The Jury Room, go and do that now. I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode with Kevin from The Jury Room while we talked about Casey and Kaylee Anthony. And I know this was a really, really tough one. So if you want to get a hold of me to talk about the case or just in general, you can reach me at Podcast Riddle on Twitter or riddlemethatpod at gmail.com. Until next time, stay safe and remember, accept nothing, question everything.